0: to be the mother of your children, because you are special and amazing, and He has called you and He will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly, and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey, friends. Today we are chatting with Lisa Joe Baker, and she is honestly one of my favorite people on the internet. And I'm imagining you're probably familiar with her. She writes at lisajobaker.com and she has a new book coming out actually in the next month called Surprised by Motherhood. And she is honestly, especially in the realm of motherhood, one of the most encouraging people that you will ever meet and she often says that she firmly believes that motherhood should come with its own superhero cape and I totally agree with that. So today, we've had her on the episode before, actually, in episode number six. But today we're talking a little bit more about the idea of raising her children with a bigger world view. She is from South Africa, and she moved to the United States. But she wants to help her kids not just have a Westerner mindset, but to have a bigger worldview. And she's doing something really big and really brave. And we're going to be talking about that in this episode. And we're actually going to talk about her new favorite phrase. And it's, uh, she says, scared is the new brave. And she talks about being scared, but doing something anyway. So I think you're going to really enjoy what she has to share. And she's just always inspiring and always eloquent. So I, I know you're going to love it. I want to give a few shout-outs to two people today uh, for leaving reviews on iTunes, and the first one is Christine HK Mama, and she's listening from Hong Kong. How cool is that? I just, I think this kind of helps affirm what Lisa Joe, and I talk about in today's episode, that as moms, we can impact the world. Whether you're recording a podcast, writing a blog, giving or emailing somebody that maybe you don't know but that you met online, and you just want to encourage them. In today's age, we can impact literally the nations of the world while we're sitting at home on the corner of our couch and our kids play with Legos. So don't underestimate what you can do. So thank you for Sharing that review on iTunes, Christine. And I also want to thank Mrs. BNJC Wilson for also leaving a great review on iTunes. And if you get a chance, I would love for you guys to do that as well. And I also wanted to mention that the Inspire to Action podcast is also available on Stitcher. If you don't listen to the podcast on an you know like an iPhone or a any kind of smartphone and you're listening just via the blog, you don't have to have an iPhone to listen to the podcast. Stitcher is a app that you can have on an iPhone or on an Android device and it's spelled S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R and it is available cross-platform and it's free and you can listen to the Inspired to Action podcast there. And if you do and you want to leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. So that's all I have for announcements today and we're going to jump into this episode because I can't wait to share Lisa Joe's wisdom with you and her encouragement with you. So here we go. Hey Lisa, Joe. How are you today? I am well. How are you, Kat? I am doing very, very well. I've had my coffee and my green smoothie, which makes me sound so healthy, but not really, because I think the coffee kind of negates the green smoothie. <laughs> so it's Monday, though. I think that's okay. True, true. But if you saw the amount of whipped cream I put on top of my my <laughs> coffee then you're yeah. like, never mind, Kat. <laughs> well,
1: I always say, like, some people judge a book by its cover, but I always judge a coffee by the amount of whipped creams. So <laughs> I thereby judge you as having outstanding Monday coffee. Yes,
0: yes. Well, I just think if there's not a nice little mountain on top and so where you cannot actually see the coffee anymore, then it's not really ready to drink. <laughs> That's my my own personal perspective.
1: I like your style, cat. Thank
0: you, thank you. Um, so for everybody listening, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. That's a, that's a, I just like open-ended questions. Yeah, like which part of the block? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's I want to I want to hear about you. I want to hear about Lisa Joe. You grew up in South Africa and yes. now you live on the East Coast. How yes. did you get from here to there? Tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Okay, well, the shortcut really is obviously there was a really cute boy with cobbly green <laughs> eyes involved. I blame him entirely, but yes, I grew up in South Africa. Um I have siblings and my whole, um, my parents and all my aunts and uncles and cousins all live there still. So I always say I'm an accidental transplant to the States. I came for college and stayed for the cute boy from Michigan that I hadn't planned to stay for. But 15 years later, we tend to gypsy back and forth between the two countries. My husband, Peter, is from the Midwest, um, but my whole family still live in South Africa. So we go home as often as we can. Um, And we have three kids, so as you can imagine, it's not that often because, as Peter says, we often need counseling for the post-traumatic stress of (laughs) 18-hour flight with all three of them. (laughs) He always says that's why we don't go as often as we wish we did. (laughs) But um, my firstborn, Jackson, I actually had him while we were living in South Africa. So Pete and I have lived a bunch of places. I'm from South Africa. I came to the States for college Um, But after law school, we moved to Ukraine for two and a half years, where I worked there um, as a legal specialist on a counter-trafficking team. And then we moved to South Africa, and I had our firstborn was born there and continued to work in social justice. And then we moved to the States and um, have been here ever since, but go back and forth pretty regularly still for Christmas and other holidays. So kind of one of those people who lives in between countries and cultures um, but I have a huge American family here who make me feel completely at home here too. And just last summer, I officially, after 18 years, became a U.S. citizen. So you. <laughs> you know, it took me ages to finally doing it. But yes, it's fun now to have
0: both. Was that? Oh, so you have both. So it's not a, a transfer sort of thing or something where you're not.
1: Well- Yes, South Africa allows you to have two. The U.S. is interesting. They just don't recognize your other one, but they don't require you to surrender your passport or anything like that. So um, technically, you can have both. I was going to ask,
0: that sounds bittersweet, but that's cool that you get to have both.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, a place that you're from and born in, you just always feel that that's your motherland and so it holds your heart. But Mm -hmm. um, my kids are very pleased to share citizenship with me now. Although <laughs> Jackson has dual as well. Cause he was born in South Africa. Uh-huh. So, he both.
0: so what inspired you? You were in South Africa as a family and then you moved to the U S what brought you as a family back over here?
1: Um, you mean my, my, not just as a college student, right? Cause you South said Jackson African was born there. in South Africa. That's right. Yeah. So, well, we went back to South Africa cause I had been away for a decade And we figured we could have stayed on in Ukraine, we could have come back to the States, but we felt like um, I was pregnant with our firstborn, and I thought I would bring him as a peace offering to South Africa after (laughs) having been gone for a decade. I was like, I will have my firstborn here. So um, we were there for about two and a half years, but Peter was looking at different work opportunities, and there was just a really great work opportunity in Michigan that brought us back here. So... um, yeah, we would have, I mean, if God had made an opportunity for us to stay there long term, we probably would have, but he just had an opportunity that brought us back stateside. So his family was really happy about that because we had our next one in Michigan. So it's a good thing you don't have like more than
0: two families in the mix, or you just be having, you know, a different child in every different locale
1: around. We <laughs> did, and then when we moved to Virginia, just outside of D.C., we had another one. So. <laughs> We've had them like, you know, some people collect years. We have children like. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm so
0: curious about and this is going to reveal the ethnocentricity of my American brain. But I think that this is true of a lot of people probably listening. Whenever we think of another country where they also speak English, we just sort of assume that it's pretty much just like America. Yeah. And, and we we transplant everything in our brains that we yeah. know over to there. Yeah. Tell me what's different about growing up in South Africa than how your kids are growing up here in the US.
1: Yeah. Well, South Africa, I mean, I think what helps set the context is we have 11 national languages there. So you can just imagine that language itself plays a huge role over there. So my husband, one of his biggest frustrations when he's home in South Africa is that people will start a story in one language and finish it in another one. And he's always like, can we just pick a language today? Because people just move seamlessly in and out of languages. So that's probably one of the biggest parts. And when I was coming to college in the States, in order to test out of the language requirements you had to say whether you spoke another language and i told my dad like oh what a bummer you know i'm gonna have to take all these language classes and he's like but but you speak Afrikaans. and i was like but that's not a language it's like yes it's <laughs> like just because you don't have to think about it when you speak it you know it didn't feel to me like a foreign language because i had grown up speaking it so yeah they speak a lot of different languages a ton of different cultures and um you know a lot of the times I have friends who've been to, um, you know, Rwanda or Burundi or other places in Africa who'll come down and visit us in South Africa. And so they'll say two things. They'll say, one, wow, it's just like America here because there are, you know, dimensions that are like big malls and cars and homes that are just like the U.S. But then you have the Africa element because on the side of the road, there's someone with like a three-legged pot over an open fire, like cooking a meal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... Huge dichotomy where you have first world and third world living alongside each other in the same country. So we still suffer from the legacy of apartheid and all the different um, implications it had for just generations, really. So we're still trying to come out of that. But it is—it's um, a remarkable country of just real openness and friendliness. And I'm going to tell you the best weather in the world. Like really. In- visits it's literally the perfect temperature all the time
0: well this is a good time of year to tell us about that so we can imagine
1: (laughs) i know i think it's probably a lot like california that's what my husband says because he lives in california you know it's not a it's a dry heat um it's nice and warm it doesn't get like crazy sweltering like texas it's not humid in the summer afternoons, it rains to cool it down. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful place to be. And they have everything. They have beaches and mountains and open prairie lands. They just, it's one of the most beautiful countries. But I mean, I'm completely biased. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it is. So I want to know, did you have any like weird animals or, or, or to my Texas self, any weird animals <laughs> that, you know, just pass through your In backyard? My-
1: no, much like Texas or anywhere else, in order to see wild game, you'd have to get in your car and travel about nine hours to a game preserve where you could then see all the big five and just about anything else. But we did have friends in Zimbabwe that we would go and visit that had a huge game farm there. And they had a lot of amazing animals. It was like being in a Robinson Crusoe episode. They had a pet zebra, was our favorite, that oh, wow. used to run through the house like a dog. I mean, it was so weird, <laughs> like are sitting down to dinner and... Uh, the zebra's name was Tequila, and they'd be like, Tequila, out, out, no, go. And the zebra would be like turn to muzzle her muzzle over your shoulder to like see what you're eating. Yeah, it was really funny. Okay, if I didn't know you so well, i totally think you were making that up. Oh, no, I have photos. I can prove it. It's the most amazing, the cutest little <laughs> zebra. It was a miniature, and it was adorable. It would follow you around like a dog. Okay, I need, I need those photos because people are going to want proof. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was my husband's um, when he came to Zimbabwe. So, that's, this is a good example of how, you know, what is South Africa like? You know, he'd spent years coming to South Africa, but when he came up to Zim, he kept saying, Oh, oh, now we're really in Africa. This is really Africa. Because <laughs> there's just, I mean, that same family raised a pair of lion cubs from Cubs. And the lions, we weren't there, so I only saw photos. But I did see the pictures of these lion cubs who thought themselves dogs because they grew up with all the dogs of the household. And so, no matter how big they were, they tried to sit on Anne's lap. <laughs> so like, she would have these photos of these like massive full-grown lions, like basically crushing her, trying to sit on her lap. <laughs> <I was. laughs> Wow,
0: that's very fascinating because we don't, I don't know anybody like that in Texas.
1: No, and so that even for South Africa is unusual. (laughs)
0: It's definitely a Zimbabwe thing. (laughs) So do your kids, have your kids gone back when they've been old enough to really
1: experience it? Yeah, yeah, sure. We were just there for Christmas. So my kids now are eight and a half, six and Zoe's two and a half, so I don't know how much she'll remember. But Jackson and Micah certainly do. And every time we're there, we, we do do a whole game drive. And um, they have these amazing game parks and preserves where they have baby lion cubs where you can go in and pet them. And But, I mean, they really are wild animals. We have a lot of conversations with our kids about how Disney's not accurate. We don't play with animals. Mm-hmm. They're not our friend. Like, we don't feed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they will hurt you. <laughs> so. Even being in with the lion cubs, I mean, they're big and strong and they smell really bad and they get (laughs) very irritable very quickly and they can, they can hurt you. I mean, they're big cubs, you know, um, but we have some amazing photos of my boys petting them. Wow. Yeah. They just, they've never been to Disneyland and I'm always like, well, why would we like (laughs) real animal kingdom? (laughs) Animatronic versus (laughs) real Yes. So yes. last time we were there, we were just um on a safari and on this big Land Rover. And um, you know, the Land Rover doesn't have real doors on the side, you know, it just kind of like steps up into this big covered vehicle. And we were out by where these white lions were feeding, and I'm taking photos and suddenly I'm like, man, that lion seems really close. And it like walks right up to the side of the van, and my son is like, "Mom, close the door, close the door." And I'm like, "There is no door. <laughs> there is no door."
0: Wow. So were you were you not freaking out? Or were you freaking out?
1: No, we were fine. I mean, the game rangers know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you just we trust them, and we do though. However, they tell you, please don't let, please don't seat your small children on the edge of the vehicle. Snack time. It's, Yes. Yeah, so we keep them all on our laps or in the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs>
0: good, good call. Good call.
1: Yes. Yeah, just a healthy respect.
0: You know, <laughs> all things wild. <laughs> so do you feel like you are raising your, your kids in, in such a way that they're experiencing the whole world? You know, do they just go to the comfortable parts of, of South Africa or are they also going to see some of the third world aspects of South Africa?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because it's so important to us that our kids don't just have sort of the Disneyland experience of South Africa because, of course, the story is so multi-layered. And I have three siblings that are adopted out of some of the poorest parts of South Africa. And my kids know a lot of their stories and have journeyed with them and um, consider them their own siblings. So it's really important to us to invite my children into those stories. So actually. Um, not this most recent trip, but the a couple of years before, when Jackson, my oldest, was only six, we had spent a whole day with them out at um, some of the orphanages. And I use the word orphanages loosely. I mean, really, they are like a house you know that a grandma is at taking care of like 30 or 40 kids. And um, we'd spent the whole day visiting orphanages and delivering clothes and playing with the kids and sharing meals. And um, it had been a long day. And I think my other two were too young to really understand. To them, it was just a fun play day. But Jackson at six was old enough to comprehend what was going on. And he needed to go to the bathroom. And I took him inside one of the buildings. And there's just, you know, this row of beds. And he asked me what it was. And I said, this is where the kids sleep at night. And he he said to me, he just got really quiet. And I kneeled down next to him. And he just whispered to me, Mama, I don't ever want to live here. And I was able to just hug him and say, you know, you, I don't think you'll have to, honey. And he said, what if you die? Like, what will happen to me? Because he knows these are kids whose parents have died or left them. And we were able to talk about, you know, you have a family that has a, you know, a lot of family and that they will fight to take you in. You know, there'll mm-hmm. be a lot of family who want you. But it, was a, it was, it's a reality of his homeland that's hard to look in the eyes. You know, I think there are a lot of adults who struggle to face that side of the story. And it's really important to us that our kids know and that they're involved and that they know that we are called to be involved and to love these kids and these communities. And so it's hard because when you leave at the end of a day like that, there's all these little kids trying to climb into the car that you have mm-hmm. to keep taking out, you know, and uh, you get to drive off with your kids. But I tell you what, my, um, my stepmom is just the most remarkable woman, and they all know her. She knows all of them by name. And, Um, She and our church have been involved just for years and years and years serving over there and are just part of the community in so many ways. So I just feel like my parents have set a very high bar for what you're supposed to do in your 60s. I'm always Mm. like, oh my goodness, you know, when are you going to relax a little bit? But they, I mean, they go out and throw huge birthday parties for orphans. They go every Christmas and throw Christmas parties. So This year was so fun because we went out and threw a huge Christmas party and had gifts for about 200 kids that had been donated through my blog. And um, just an amazing experience to watch my kids, you know, especially my middle kid who tends to be Mr. Consumerism and like his entire goal of any outing is like, what gift can he get, you know, (laughs) what toy can he get? Like everything is ruined if he didn't get the right toy. And to watch him stand there in the hot, hot sun for Christmas and hand out gift after gift after gift to kids. He wanted to be right there with my dad helping hand out the gifts it was quite something. Like we can talk as much as we want to our kids about it, but until they're actually there living it with us, you know, the message isn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. So you can
0: do this because you have family in South Africa and you have a reason to go to South Africa what about, well, I have a family of Philippines, so I can, I can do that with my kids as well. But what about the moms who everyone they know is in the U.S.? What mm-hmm. can they do, not only really for their kids, but for them too? Maybe they've never been to a place where people are truly in need. Maybe they've never been to a third world country. Maybe they don't know anybody there. They don't have a place that they can go. What, what can they do to, to give um, their kids and, and themselves a full world experience and and really be the hands and feet of Jesus.
1: Yeah. I mean, Pete and I ask ourselves that all the time because we live here most of the year, you know, how do we give our children these same experiences here? Well, I guess there's two answers for me. One is, partner with someone who has got a door that they can lead you into another world experience with. So for me, it's been really fun this year. I felt the challenge to see my blog as a door to invite people in to a story that maybe they wouldn't access otherwise and to be part of the story with me. But number two, in the States, it's interesting because I think it is hard to connect in some ways um, in the same levels that you can in a place like South Africa, because it feels very sanitized here and there's a lot of process and procedure for volunteering at a homeless shelter, a refugee shelter, but man, I'm learning that there's so much you can do just right in your neighborhood. You know, like if your church during Thanksgiving is delivering turkeys to the homeless, like we did that this year. Like we signed up to help. You you could sign up either to help package stuff or to help deliver stuff. And I said, let's, Deliver, because then my kids can come with me and be part of that, right? Uh That's something that they can do. They can come and help me deliver the turkey, and we did that. Or I love listening to Jen Hatmaker talk about this because she says, you don't have to have an official program. Like, just sit down at the kitchen table and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with your kids, and then drive, you know, drive into the parts of your city where there are people who are hungry and give it to them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. funny. I was like so shocked, like that's <laughs> serious, right? And I was like, oh, like why don't I do that? <laughs> like that's I live like right next to D.C. that has one of the worst homeless populations. You know, that's something that we can actually do together. Mm-hmm. Or organizations like Soul Hope, where you can have a shoe-cutting party in your house, and your kids can be part of that. Or Operation Christmas Child. Like this year, my kids all helped pack a Christmas basket for. A kid in another country so for me it's been a lot of trying to do that exact thing like like moms here how can I find practical experiences for my children to feel a little bit outside of their comfort zone here you know Mm -hmm. what does that look like Mm -hmm. and it's a challenge for all of us
0: yeah and uh, you know I would even say that you don't need to start big starting and like one thing that I feel like has really had an impact on my kids it's been sort of a gradual thing so uh, one thing that we always do is anytime there's a siren, when we're anywhere and we hear a siren, uh, we pray for the, mm. you know, the doctors or the people involved or the family or whoever. And, and so my kids know they hear a siren and somebody prays. And that just helps them to I start thinking outside themselves. And recently yeah. I've started to do more kind of random acts of kindness things. So if we go through Starbucks, my kids say, hey, can we buy something for the person behind us? Or, mm. you know, or if we go through Panera drive Through or whatever. And, um, and and I feel like those small steps that are actually really easy to do and don't require planning or calling something or doing anything just help me and my kids to look outside of ourselves so that, you know, if we drive by a, a bus stop and it's cold out and we see that, you know, a mom and her kid are there, we go back by Starbucks, we pick up a coffee and a cake mm-hmm. pop and we drop it off and it just it, it it grows. You start something small and it grows and can and morph into something bigger. And, and just that the small acts of looking outside yourself and helping your kids to look outside themselves and to be sensitive to what God might be asking them to do to help other people. And so it, I, I just want to help everybody listening to, to recognize that it doesn't need to be some big thing. If you feel like that's going to be an obstacle for you, start small. And then as those bigger opportunities come, you'll be ready for them.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like we make our kids available, but we make ourselves available then too. Because, because moms, I think as moms, you know, I get it, man. Moms are so tired, and the checklist of things we have to do is so overwhelming to me. Like, really, could the school send home more pieces of paper? but i think for me if i start with small things with them then that's it. i feel available when there's bigger opportunities mm-hmm. you know i feel braver i feel like wow that small thing went so well like maybe we can do this other thing and mm-hmm. i mean let me just like at a caveat like it's not like my children are like skipping with joy to like give away toy to other kids okay like one of my kids like fell down on the floor of Kmart and started wailing because I wouldn't let him choose something because I told him we were packing gifts for other kids (laughs) like that was the point of the outing and he knew it but I still was that mom in Kmart you know (laughs) But that is just okay with me because I want them to learn that some days it's just not about them. Yes. So it doesn't always look pretty and it's not perfect. And when we went to drop them off at Operation Christmas Child, you know, I really hoped they'd all stand and smile sweetly by the sign so I could get a lovely Instagram picture. But like my one kid wouldn't and told me he hated it. This was all stupid. And <laughs> like I hate being here. I'm cold. And but that same kid, the next day, the neighbor came over and he was like telling his friend have you heard of operation christmas child you give Mm. presents it's so cool we gave our presents yesterday and i was astounded because this is the same kid who like you know told me how stupid the whole experience was so there is hope moms (laughs) i think you are getting through them
0: Mm -hmm. well i would love i know that um so your brothers and sister am i getting that right for two two boys and one girl uh, my adopted... You adopted city. Yeah, your adopted... City. Two, girls
1: yeah. Two girls and a boy. Two girls and a boy. I keep getting that backwards. Um, what's the name of the community that they're from? So there is... A, the city is called Hamanskral, and in the city there is a small village called Maubane. Maubane, okay. That's right. M-A-U-B-A-N-E. and It's called Maubane.
0: And you're doing something pretty amazing on your blog, that is a way, not just for you to impact the place where your adopted siblings are from, but a way for all of us to jump through that door that you're mentioning. And and I really like what you said earlier about about your son having a big family that's fighting, that would fight for him. Should anything happen to you? And I love that analogy. And I love that You know, the door that you're opening through your blog into this community is an opportunity for us to fight for children who don't really have anybody to fight for them. Yeah. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that opportunity.
1: Sure. I'm going to back into it from the different end because I think sometimes when you hear about it being this big project we're trying to do, it feels like, wow, I could never do something like that. And so I'll just like back up 11 years, my parents were trying to just volunteer and Um, thought, well, maybe we could drop off some care packages to orphan kids, right? We, We live in South Africa. There's an orphan crisis, but they didn't know any orphans. They didn't know how to help any orphans. They got in touch with a social worker and said, could you maybe introduce us to some in South Africa? They call them orphan headed households where there are no adults. It's just orphans. Um, And, you know, maybe we can bring some food and blankets. That is it. Okay. That was what they were trying to do. So it's the small thing we keep talking about, starting small, bringing some food and some blankets. And the social worker said, sure. And she set up a few home visits that they could go to. And they went to the first household and discovered these three kids. The youngest was just two and couldn't sit up yet who were living in like this dirt shack back of a house. And all they had was an open cooking fire, and um, they were trying to take care of themselves. And when my parents saw that, <laughs> let's just say they did not move on to the other families that day. Mm. They were so astounded by what they saw and felt so motivated to try and be involved further. That's how it started. And as my dad describes it, we we just started adopting kids completely by accident. <laughs> we did not mean to. <laughs> And so through that, they adopted the little two-year-old boy, and he is now twelve. Wow! And um, and then two of other two other of that family um, kids, and have just continued to foster and be involved with all the kids related to that family. But it's been over years, right? It started very small with bringing food and then thinking, okay, this baby's not going to make it. If we don't take care of him, maybe we'll just foster him for a little while. And then you know how it is with God. You bring your small loaves and fishes, Mm -hmm. and then he just keeps breaking and multiplying what you think you're capable of. Because Mm -hmm. we think we can only do this tiny little bit. Here's my tiny basket. I really, God, I'm uncomfortable. Like, please don't do more, but I'll do this little bit. And God just gently breaks and breaks and breaks and breaks. And you can end up Doing so much more than you imagine. So that's how it began, and so my son Jackson has always known my adopted brother krabble because Krabbe was there first, and Krabbe was two when Jackson was born, and so Jackson considers Krabbe his big brother. They're as mm. thick as thieves, um, and when we're home, I basically don't see my kids because they all hang out in these like <laughs> tribes, of children that are at our house all the time. So what's happened is that my parents, as they have become more and more invested in the community, a lot, I think, of what we see online when we see social justice done, I feel like we have this sort of filter of romance about it. Oh, look what they're doing. And it's so beautiful and meaningful and sort of precious, you know. But in my experience, it just isn't like it's awkward and hard dealing with poverty. And it's very difficult to make sure you're not coming in sort of with a savior complex. You know, like here, we're coming to deliver you from all of these things. And my dad always talks about how we need to see ourselves as saying, how can I serve you? You know, how can I serve you? Like God talks about how his heart is for the poor. So he is already there. Like Jesus is already there. None of this is a surprise to him. I feel like Jesus's question to me is what took you so long? You know, I've been here all along. Mm -hmm. And so um, the big question has been, what does the community need? What are your needs? And it's been amazing because my parents are part of a nonprofit called Take Action And they've spent a lot of time with those communities talking to them about what they need. And about a year ago, they started planning for a community center because right now there's a a development of houses um, that's part of the government reconstruction plan after apartheid. So they're tiny little small, like one room houses. A lot of them don't have running water, electricity, but they border this huge plot of vacant land. And in that plot of land, about 300 kids have been meeting every Sunday for a church service conducted by Pastor Norman in the community. And a lot of times the adults who supervise these kids will, will come along to you, but they're just out in, you know under the hot sun in this dust bowl. And so when they started talking to the community leaders and to Pastor Norman, the thought had been, well, what if we could build a community center that would have you know, a big hall where we could meet for church? But it would also have classrooms where we could have economic empowerment training and HIV-AIDS training and maternity health training. And it would have a drop-in center where moms could drop their kids because a lot of the time kids are completely unsupervised before and after school, particularly if they have no adult supervision anyway. So they're just on the streets But then there are moms who have to commute hours to jobs as domestic servants in the city and they just leave their kids unattended and they don't have a lot of options. So what if we could have a safe drop-in center and a playground where the kids could play? And what if we had a community garden that could feed the community and be a source of income for the community? So a year ago, when they had absolutely no idea how they'd fund it, (laughs) they had the blueprints drawn up for this amazing community center And South Africa is so interesting, they had to go before a tribal council to get permission to build on the land, and the local government approved it, and the community approved it, and they have these amazing photos of the church and take action on meeting with the community with the blueprints and praying over them Mm. a year ago and had no clue how they'd fund them. Well, a year ago, God started working in my heart about my blog, and I felt him tell me, well... I think this story is not just supposed to be about you, Lisa Joe. I think your story is too small. We need a bigger story. And at the time I was writing a book that comes out in April. It's called Surprised by Motherhood, Everything I Never Expected About Being a Mom. And it chronicles a lot of the story of my parents and their adoption and work in this community. And I just felt like God was telling me, listen, we're going to tell a bigger story. And um, I'd like to use your blog to do that. So I, I was like, oh, uh, okay. So yes. I call my parents, okay? I'm not joking. This is the conversation. I'm like, so I feel like God would like to use my blog to do something. Do you have anything? Like, what do you need? Do you even have anything? And they just start laughing. And they're like, are you kidding me? Yes, we have something. We have this community center. We have the blueprints. We have the permission. The only thing we don't have is the resources. Mm-hmm. So it really felt like God connected me to what they were doing. And, you know, it's, it helps make sense of my homesickness because here I am in the States with access to just some amazing folks um, and communities here that can build a bridge to the work they're doing in South Africa. So it's the long version of saying that last week we finally launched this project. It's called the Malbona Community Center. It has five phases. The first phase was the vegetable garden. And um, the vegetable garden cost $5,000. And on Friday last week, it got fully funded by our community, who ended up raising over $10,000 in one day toward this project. Because I think, um, as someone who writes about motherhood, what I've been able to say to moms here is, while I think often we struggle with the sense that motherhood is meaningless and repetitive and insignificant and ordinary, a child that doesn't have a mom, there's nothing ordinary about motherhood. Mm -hmm. And being able to connect moms here with kids in South Africa has just been transformative. So it's a huge, wild, scary goal, Cat. Like It makes me feel nauseous to say it out loud, but the project is $150,000 and our goal is to see if between Valentine's Day and Mother's Day we can get it funded. And I tell you, I have no clue how that will happen. Like I do not know, but I know that my part is to ask. So ask and tell the story. So that's what we're doing because I think that moms are world changers right where they are. Mm -hmm. And this is an invitation to continue to change the world while you're changing the loads of laundry. You know, you don't have to buy a plane ticket to change the world. You can do it right from where you are and bring your kids along. So this Valentine's Day... Um, We really talked about that. What if we chose to fall in love with the world next door? And I have often on Valentine's got up early and made fun Valentine's breakfast and candy and whatnot. And this year I was like a lunatic, crazy hair and crazy eyes. Like I've been working around the clock on this project for so long. And when my kids came in in the morning, I said, happy Valentine's day. And pointed to my computer screen (laughs) what I'm giving you this year. And uh, they watch that ticker with me all day, mm-hmm. see come in, and they get to be part of the story, you know. So, that's my invitation to moms. We don't have to be intimidated by the amount because I think uh, my pastor always says, "No one can outgive God," mm-hmm. and I think he will. He'll do that part. We just we get to be part of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. We actually get to be part of it. That's what's so amazing. I think he'll do it regardless, but he invites us into the story that he is writing. So. That's a long answer to something that has been a long time in the making. Well, I'm super excited about it. And I love that it
0: is a a goal that needs Jesus. You know, it's not a goal. Oh, I can totally do this. I can yes. just do this by myself. <laughs> it is a goal that, that needs Jesus. and And I love that. I've seen my church is very very missions focused. We have like, I don't know, like 60 church plants around the world or something. So we have friends constantly going overseas. And in order to go overseas, um, one of the requirements for our sending agency is just that they not have any debt. And so I have over and over seen college students raise tens of thousands of dollars to pay off other college students' student loans just so that they could go be missionary somewhere. I mean, it's become almost a normal thing to leave church in the morning and see a bow on a car because somebody needed a car. So their life group got together and saved money for their car. And I mean, just when we just trust God with big, crazy things, he is so faithful to show up. And I just, I love, I love what you're doing. I love the opportunity that it's giving to other people. And I love the opportunity it is just to show how big God is and, and what he can do. So I would love it if you could tell us
1: how we can jump in. Yes, I would love that also. Thank you for your encouragement because I need the reminder. I think it's just important to like fest that I am like terrified all the time. Like this whole project is so out of my comfort zone <laughs> and it's just it's overwhelming Um But it's always encouraging to feel like there are people along for the ride. So you can go to the web address to check it out. It's just www.surprisedbymotherhood.com. And that will take you to the most recent phase and let you read up on it and see where we are. And um, I guess, you know, beyond just donating, which, yes, please, if you're listening and would love to donate, we would love that. Um, But sharing the word is just spreading the word is really great, too. You know, as many people know about it as possible. And there's a part of me, I was talking to my dad the other night about it and just saying to him, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I wish there were one or two like really big donors who could come alongside us. And he said, well... Maybe, but maybe God just likes to do this with every little piece, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe he builds this out of all the little pieces together. So that way, everybody gets to be involved. Uh-huh. So I think um, if you go to surprisedbymotherhood.com, there's a video that tells the story. And you'll see me and you'll see my dad. And you'll see Pastor Norman and you'll see the property. It's such an amazing video. All these kids, we went and shot it when I was home for Christmas. Like 250 kids walked onto the property, all holding hands and stood in the outline, you know, like a human blueprint of where the building will be.
0: I love it. It's so, it's so fun
1: to see their faces. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. love that. I think they thought we were crazy. They're like, are these crazy white people? (laughs) (laughs) It was so hot. Oh my gosh. You can see from my face. I'm just like sweating like a crazy person. (laughs) It was like, I had hoped that we'd shoot like my video interview, like early in the morning when I was still fresh. But when we arrived, like there were just hundreds of kids running out onto the property because they knew we were coming. So we filmed with them first and by the time it was my turn to do my interview, I mean, sweat was just like pouring down my body.
0: <laughs> my well, face is so red in the video. I'll let you know I didn't even notice. <laughs>
1: that's very gracious. It too. was
0: just fun to to see <laughs> the place and to see the kids and to hear everybody's everybody's story. And and was it Pastor Norman? Is that his name? Yeah.
1: that's. And fantastic. hear his accent. I love that. Yes. Yes. He's great. Oh, I tell you, they just give me such courage because I always say, well, what if we don't raise it? You know, what if we don't make it? And they just say to me, well... If we raise a $1,000, we'll have a $1,000 more than we had yesterday, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, the expression they use there a lot is just, God will build the house, Mm -hmm. God will build the house, and so for me, it's been such an exercise in courage and faith, because it's easy to feel completely overwhelmed, but I think sometimes that's how we're supposed to feel, so we're certain that it, it didn't come from us, so... Um, I have no clue if we'll raise this money by Mother's Day or not. Um, But I think it's good to give ourselves a goal and to shoot for it Mm -hmm. and um, be praying and sharing. So, yes, please, check out surprisebymotherhood.com. Give, share, spread the word, um, and feel free to ask any questions that you have, too. You can leave comments um, on the site, um, in the Facebook section at the bottom. But I just think too, don't miss it, you know, like don't miss something really extraordinary because you're too busy with just the day to day Mm -hmm. and whether it's this or something else, like whatever it is that you feel that nudge that you should be involved in, don't miss it because it's such an invitation that God gives us. I feel like that's what I've experienced with this. Like, I think he could have done it a different way, but he chose to invite me to be part of the story. Mm -hmm. And what if I hadn't, like, what if I had said no? And it's been it's just been quite something to get to do it alongside of him.
0: And I would add that whether you, you know, share the story, whether you give to the story, um, if you give five dollars or five thousand dollars, you're then part of the journey. That's um, right. And, and so you can keep that page bookmarked on your computer, and maybe every day bring your kids in and see you know, Hey, look, this is how far we are. And, and it becomes your story as well. Something that you pray for something that you can pray with your kids for and, and something that, you know, your kids, you can, we have a little jar in our house that says, um, it's just like, I don't even remember what it was. I think an oatmeal canister and it says change for change on it. And we just put our change into it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: when that gets filled up, then we take it and we use that money and, and donate it somewhere. So you could do something like that with your kids, but I encourage you That whatever you do, whatever you can do, use it as as a jumping off point to bring your family into it so that really just your heart and your focus can be turned off of ourselves and off of just what's happening in our own small community, but to the needs of others on the other side of the world and, and what God is doing and what God can do and what God will do through us. I will add some click to tweets, which means basically you can just click a link and it will prepare the tweet for you to help um, share this. I'll add that in the, the show notes of this episode. So if you're listening, you should just be able to scroll down in whatever you're listening to. And the show notes will be right there. You should just be able to click it. And then it's going to open Twitter, add the tweet, um, so you can help get the word out about it. And I'll have all the links to the site and everything in there as well. So be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Um, so. Lisa Joe, I really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you sharing your story and, and really just being brave and taking action because it it, it is
1: scary to do something big. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just, my motto has been that scared is the new brave because <laughs> I don't think you feel brave. Like If you're waiting to feel brave, you're just never gonna, you right. know? I think you just do it anyway. And therein lies the braveness. And I've talked to my kids a lot about that because kids, you know, they know what scared feels like. And it's good to be able to say, listen, mommy is scared about this, but we're going to do it anyway, because Mm -hmm. that is what brave, that's what brave looks like. And Mm -hmm. I think it's good for them to know their parents feel scared too about things and do them anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I forget who says it, but there's a quote that says life begins outside our comfort zone. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) and I think that is just true. That that, that's a short phrase that says a whole lot.
1: Yes, ma'am. Amen Um, to
0: that. So awesome. Well, Lisa, will you give one quick encouragement to the mom listening? So she's just listened to this whole thing. Maybe she's thinking, "Oh wow, you know, I'm not doing anything to help anybody right now. I can barely get on top of the laundry. I can barely handle, you know, my kids. I feel overwhelmed." And she's listening to this and and wanting to do something, feeling a little stuck. What would you say just to encourage her as a mom, as a woman, to just step outside of that and
1: and be brave? Yeah, maybe we can add to the show notes. There's a post I wrote last week called When You Wonder If You're Qualified for Ministry. Um, Because I think sometimes we think in order to be qualified to participate in things like this, we need a big platform or a big microphone or a big calling or, you know, at least to have washed our hair recently, which, as we all know, (laughs) is not often the case. And I think there's just this idea that your life isn't small um, just because your day feels the same day in and day out. You know, pulpits aren't only found in churches. Speeches don't only come from stages. We don't need microphones to be heard. You already are living the mission of changing lives. You do it on a daily basis in the lives of your kids. So because of that, you're already many miles ahead of people who don't spend their days ingrained in trying to shape the life of someone else. And the work that you do in raising tiny humans has perfectly equipped you to be involved in changing other parts of the world, too. You already know what it's like to put somebody else ahead of you. You're living it on a daily basis. So all I'm saying is here's a door to come and be involved um, in doing it in another time zone, basically what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to do anything different. I'm just saying what what you do has qualified you. You are beyond qualified to be involved in things like this just because of who you are. You, You do ministry day in and day out. You don't need a platform to be seen when you have a bunch of sets of eyes looking right back at you at a daily basis, wondering what it is that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we just leave the back door open for that word ministry to come quietly in along with the neighbor's kids and all the dirt in the backyard and Jesus, you know, you are doing ministry on a daily basis. And I'm so grateful because I'm right there in the trenches with you and in between trying to find ways to carve out how to serve in other places and time zones um, just the same as we're doing right at home already.
0: Fantastic. You can find out more about Lisa Joe at SurpriseByMotherhood.com and also at LisaJobaker.com. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us, and I um, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Kat. All right.
1: Bye bye. Bye.
0: Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast.
1: On a big God day, a God day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercies. May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way by His Spirit with each breath that I take. It's feeling like a God day.